Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, we talked in the last hour with Ben Johnson and with Kathy Branzell, those congregation, congregations, mm-hmm. conversations, conversations. Yes. <laughs> those conversations are absolutely uh, worth your time and attention. And you can grab them later at myfaithradio.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're not already subscribed to Mornings with Carmen, um, wherever you, um, you know, wherever you subscribe to your podcast, let me encourage you to do that. One of the advantages of doing that is then you get all the show notes, which includes all the links um, to all of the uh, the articles or books or commentaries that we talk about during the show, uh, and so uh, saves both you and me time in having to you know, answer emails or texts, you know, hey, what was that article or what was that book? Um, it's all in the show notes every single day. Um, and you can get those show notes at myfaithradio.com or you can get those show notes um, wherever you subscribe to your podcast because it's included um, in those podcast links. Is that a way of good way of saying that, Paul? Yeah, mm-hmm. that works. Okay, so um, here are a few headlines um, today to get us rocking and rolling and so that you'll feel uh, prepared for the conversations of the day as you go out there into the world that God so loves. So um, OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC Plus, because it now includes um, Russia and some others. It's not just a group of Middle Eastern countries uh, like it used to be. So OPEC announced Wednesday that um, in response to the weakening global economy and their anticipation of global recession, They were going to reduce their output by 2 million barrels of oil per day. It's about 2% of the global supply. And so you guys, you know, know basic economics. Um, If you want to keep a price stable or, um, or you want to see the price, you know, hold as demand goes down, um, then you have to decrease the supply. It's really quite basic, um, supply and demand economics, like Econ 101. You can imagine, though, that uh, those who do not want to see fuel prices rise here in the United States or around the world um, are particularly jumpy about this. And so the Biden administration um, expressed disappointment with uh, OPEC Plus's decision, accusing OPEC of aligning with Russia. Um, And so you're going to hear more uh, about that. You're also going to hear um, ongoing conversations about continuing to deplete the um, strategic oil reserves of the United States of America, which are supposed to be reserved for, um, you know, use in response to catastrophic, catastrophic um, loss of, uh, of our access to fuel. This is a natural economic, um, I don't know, uh, event. This is not a, ca- I mean, OPEC deciding to reduce its production by 2 million barrels a day is not a catastrophic loss of uh, our nation's ability to supply for its own fuel. And so um, 
yeah, it's gonna that's gonna be an interesting political conversation going forward for you to be aware of. But uh, on the you know on the personal front, the the price of gas is going back up. Maybe that's the um, you know the the kitchen table issue here. The United States is uh, going to send the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier back into the waters near the Korean Peninsula in response to North Korea's firing an intermediate-range missile over Japan on Tuesday. Um, The United States and South Korea are also engaged in conducting joint exercises in retaliation for North Korea's test. Uh, And so there's a lot going on in relationship to North Korea its uh, ballistic missile program, and its nuclear program. And so we are all um, have a heightened awareness of nuclear conversations because of what Russia is up to. And so that's going, uh, that's going on as well. Uh, on the home front, the, the Treasury Department reported on Tuesday that the United States of America now has a national debt exceeding $31 trillion. That happened um, for the first time, and the federal government is borrowing at record levels to fund its um, unfunded programs. There you go. We're going to return to the headlines here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. And when we say uh, the word faith, right, we mean something. So when you hear or use the word faith, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, what, what do you think we mean when we say faith in terms of faith radio? Uh, it's both a declaration and an invitation. We are certainly declaring our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and we are... Um, inviting you to consider putting your faith in him as well. Um, It is both a a declaration and an invitation. Uh, And so when we talk about faith and when we hear quote unquote faith leaders make public pronouncements and statements in the public square, um, it should have our attention. Those are those are headlines that you know, kind of are obvious opportunities for us as Christians to lean in, to point to something, to get God back into the conversations of the day. You know where we are um, with the people around us. So it was now uh, two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, that uh, the patriarch patriarch of Moscow made some statements. So this is the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church in Moscow, Patriarch Kirill, made some statements about um, faith that I think we um, we ought to talk about and we ought to be prepared to talk about with others. We ought to um, have our filter up when we hear someone say the kinds of things that he said uh, about salvation, about how we're saved or how what we do affects our salvation. And so my question before us this morning is quite simply, how are we saved? How is a person saved? Is it just Jesus or is it Jesus plus something else? Is it the act of Christ alone upon the cross or is it Jesus's act upon the cross plus some action or work on our part? Is it just Jesus or is it Jesus plus? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Or, as Patriarch Creel has suggested, by something in addition or even some other alternative means. So what did the Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church actually say? Well, he said that a Russian soldier's death on the battlefield in Ukraine washes away the sins of that individual. That is, my friends, salvation by the self. Or at a minimum, the idea that in addition to the sacrifice of Jesus, there is a work of the individual that can accomplish salvation, a salvific work. So Russian soldiers who die in the line of duty in Ukraine have all of their sins forgiven. That is what, I mean, that's directly what he said. Russian soldiers who die in the line of duty in Ukraine have all of their sins forgiven. He shared this in a sermon comparing their sacrificial death to the death of Jesus. Um, I mean, Patriarch Kirill is already a staunch supporter of Russia's war in Ukraine. He is... Um, you know, he's not just an ally of President Vladimir Putin. Um, he he provides um, the theological foundation for this idea that Russia has um, a divine mandate to reconstitute um, itself as a you know as a larger physical presence. Than, uh, than currently exist or constrained by uh, the borders and boundaries of Russia following the breakup of the USSR. So Kirill has characterized the war as a part of this larger, what I'll describe as a metaphysical struggle against um, the West. And, um, and Kirill has uh, echoed President Putin's depiction of Ukraine as spiritually and politically tied to Russia through their common roots. So the Russian Kiev is what we're talking about here. And, um, and so the, the breakup um, or the departure of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church from the Russian Orthodox Church, the fact that there is a patriarch in Kiev is part of um, the theological struggle that is happening here and then is manifesting itself in real war. So we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? What do we know to be true? Um, how, how are we saved? Peter is asked in Acts chapter two, what must we do to be saved? It's a direct question. So when we come back, let's talk about what the Bible says, what Peter says about what we must do to be saved, what Paul says about what we must do to be saved. Um, and then we're gonna have a conversation about works and the work of the Christian life that's not works righteousness, but the work of the righteous. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com.
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Hey, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. We're talking about the question, what must we do to be saved? And we're talking about it in the context of comments by the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church in Moscow, who um, who said that um, if someone driven by a sense of duty, the need to fulfill an oath, remains true to his calling and dies in the line of military duty, then he undoubtedly commits an act that is tantamount to a sacrifice. He sacrifices himself for others, and therefore we believe this sacrifice washes away all the sins that a person has committed. So um, Patriarch Creel is comparing there the sacrifice of Russians on the battlefield in Ukraine. Uh, he's likening it to the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. Is that legit or is that theologically illegitimate? Um, and so let us look to the scriptures of uh, particularly in the New Testament and people who directly ask the question, what must we do to be saved? Peter is asked that question and Luke records it in Acts chapter two this way. Um, they heard they heard this, so they've heard Peter's sermon and they were uh, cut to the heart, acutely distressed is one way uh, it's interpreted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do brothers? What can we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent, turn to Jesus, um, acknowledge your sin. It, you know it, this act of baptism and the washing away. I mean, it's a outward and physical sign of an inward and a spiritual reality, right? Acknowledge um, your sin, turn to Jesus as the answer um, uh, for that, the atonement for that. Um, and then, you know, live as his person endowed with the Holy Spirit and then walking uh, by faith. I mean, that's what Peter's talking about. According to Paul, this is recorded in Romans chapter 10. Um, you know, he's talking here about faith and what it means to be saved. And in uh, in chapter 10, he says, okay, so what 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 does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, is that Jesus plus something or is that me acknowledging the full, complete work of Jesus Christ? See, I, I, is there an acknowledgement that's necessary? Yes, absolutely. Um, is there anything more than confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart? No, there's nothing that I can do to add to my salvation. I am saved by God's grace. I put my faith in Christ alone for my salvation. Uh, Paul goes on there to say, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the question comes down to this. How is the righteousness, the righteousness that we lost in the fall, this rightness before God, this ability to stand before God in his presence, um, how is that righteousness lost in the fall restored? 
can I accomplish that through something, even through my own death? And the answer is no. A person who is unrighteous cannot make themselves righteous again. A, a person who is unrighteous, which all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, um, can be made righteous again or enter into God's presence again, have fellowship with God again, glorify God again, enjoy God forever through Christ alone. Now, faith has always defined righteousness and righteousness before God does not depend on human achievement or human merit. It depends entirely upon God's character. God who is perfectly holy and perfectly loving, those two character qualities wedded and expressed in his grace poured out on the cross. It depends on God's grace, not on anything that we might do to win or earn or merit his favor. Now, is it conditional? Yes. I mean, that does not mean there's no work for the Christian to do. It just means that I don't work for my righteousness. Once I am made righteous in Christ, then there is work for me to do. Absolutely. I don't work for righteousness, but as one who is made righteous, I then work. Absolutely. Um, Faith has works. Faith is expressed in works. It's expressed in deeds. Um, There is work for the Christian to do. The Great Commission, the building up of the body of Christ, glorifying God, edifying people. Uh, I mean, God has prepared in advance good works for me to do. There's no question about that. But it is not by those works that I am saved. It is because I am saved that I glorify God in those works. Does that make sense? Do you see the distinction there? I don't lay down my life um, hoping that by that act I'm going to be saved. I lay down my life because I'm already saved. This is no longer my life to live, but Christ to live in and through me as he pleases and as he wills, moment by moment, day by day, advancing his kingdom purposes in all ways uh, and always. So when you are reading headlines and when you are hearing people even who have big fancy titles and maybe big hats, mm -hmm, um, when you hear them say things that you know are contrary to the word of God, it's your responsibility as a Christian to stand up and say, um, just because you have a big fancy hat and just because some um, institutional church somewhere ordained you to some particular position, um, that's not what the Bible says. And so let us be people who are in the word of God, that the word of God may be in us, that we may filter the headlines through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we might be able to discern what is true and discern what is false. And then stand up and tell people the difference. All right, we're going to have a conversation in just a moment about what it means to be a Christian and to be a patriotic citizen of a particular country. How can I be a patriotic Christian? That conversation up next with Dr. Richard Mao. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Um, Yes, I am really appreciating your text messages this morning. Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. Lots of comments about the hat. Yeah, big hat, no cattle. Um, 
the dude in Russia. That is definitely my favorite reference um, now. And I wish uh, I, well, I don't know. Well, probably, you'll probably use it from here on out. It's probably better that I didn't say it, but okay, I sure yeah. am glad that you said it. Um, big fancy hats, lots of those. And let me just say, um, the, the the hats are not a big temptation to me, but the ermine cape, now the, the Russian imperial ermine cape, that I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. Cardinal cool. Carmen might like an ermine cape. Mm. Mm-hmm. They don't have cardinals, I don't think. Over there, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, right. That's that's all I got for you. Okay. okay. Um, words matter. My uh, my segue here to our conversation with Dr. Richard Mao about um, being patriotic and being a Christian because you know, like, we're both right. I'm a patriotic citizen of a country. Mine is the United States of America. I am also, um, you know, a, a citizen first and foremost of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and an ambassador of it in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So how can I legitimately be patriotic and a Christian? Dr. Mao has actually written a book on it, How to Be a Patriotic Christian. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What an honor and a privilege to welcome Dr. Richard Mao to the program today. Uh, Many of you already know him. He's a senior research fellow at the Henry Institute for the Study of Religion and Politics at Calvin University, uh, continuing his research in Christian political thought, as well as working with faculty and students on special projects, uh, helping to um, organize all kinds of events and conferences. He is uh, the former president of Fuller Theological Seminary and a dear friend. So, Dr. Mao, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's great to be with you. Yeah. Well, it's it's wonderful um, to hear your voice and to have the opportunity to talk with you about your new book, How to Be a Patriotic Christian, Love of Country as Love of Neighbor. Talk with me about the question that sits right behind this or the experiences that we're all having in the culture today that are just right behind um, the reason that you wrote this book. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, um, you know, it goes without saying these days we live in a highly polarized society and, in fact, in a highly polarized Christian community. And just about every congregation that I know about, people are saying we're having a hard time talking to each other about uh, these kinds of issues. And I wanted to open up the possibility of talking with each other because there's a a terrible tendency, Carmen, to see people in terms of who they voted for, a kind of surface thing, and to get to be able to step back and say, who are we as Christians? What does it mean to love this country, the United States of America? And to get beyond the polarization, because these days, uh, there are many people, certainly many people in the, in the Christian community who see a certain kind of... Um, love of country as absolutely required on the part of Christians. And there are others, and many in the younger generation, for example, who uh, want to see anything associated with patriotism as idolatry or, you know, an in- inordinate love and, and, in fact, obedience to the status quo. So these are the kinds of issues that I decided to address. So I'm going to read um, a few sentences here so folks can get um, a sense of what's in the book. Um, Dr. Mal says uh, in 
how to be a patriotic Christian, I'm comforted by the fact that civil religion is still with us. Daily prayers are offered at the opening of sessions of the U.S. Senate. We still sing about sacred matters at civic gatherings. School children pledge allegiance to a nation under God. I certainly wish for more to be said in those contexts than the guidelines regulating the public use of religious concepts will allow, but I do not want less. For those of us who both fear God and love our country, not everything associated with generic, quote, God and country themes can be seen as misguided. So, Dr. Mao, I think that there's a lot of folks listening right now who love God, they love country, they want to be patriotic, they want to be Christians, and yet they feel like many times in the culture they're scolded for that view. So talk with us about how to appropriately be patriotic and a Christian. Well, you notice it isn't just wanting God to be mentioned because of our, our specific faith. You know, the, the, the well-known late uh, sociologist from the University of California at Berkeley, Robert Bella, wrote a piece back in the 60s that was very controversial, defending the idea of civil religion. And he pointed out, this was just after John F. Kennedy had been elected, pointed out that President Kennedy, in his inaugural address, three times mentioned God. He mentioned at the beginning. He said, I'm here today. I've taken vows before you, for the, the nation, and before God. In the middle, he re- re- referred to God. And at the end, he said, we've got to do God's work and not just what we see as our own work. And Bella pointed out that uh, in great national events like presidential inaugurals, God is, is usually mentioned. What, what Bella said is what, what's going on there. Uh, it's not just kind of a toss away line, but that on those moments when we think about who we are as a nation, it's very important to realize that beyond the ebb and flow of politics, beyond the, the vote counting and the like, uh, there is a transcendent standard beyond human opinion. Uh, that we really need to acknowledge. Uh, and, and that, to me, is very important. And the patriotic songs that we sing, you know, they're not just uh, uh, glorifying the nation. We also sing, God mend our every flaw. Mm-hmm. And uh, God does need to mend our flaws. And in that same one, may God shed his grace on America. Uh, those are just well, my country, right or wrong. These are expressions of the need to have forgiveness, uh, to recognize that it's not just who voted for whom. And I think that's very important in um, the, the life of the nation. We're talking with Dr. Richard Mao. We're talking about his brand new book, How to Be a Patriotic Christian. We do have some copies to give away. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the ones we have available, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. When we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Mao to reflect a little bit over time because he's been writing on this topic now for many years. Um, Uncommon decency, Christian civility in an uncivil world. Um, came out back in the 1980s. And so when we're talking about how to be a patriotic Christian, love of country as love of neighbor, his brand new book, we're really talking about the development of a conversation over time. We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Richard Mao in just a moment.
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Picking up where we left off, uh, we're talking with Dr. Richard Mao about how to be a patriotic Christian. And yes, we're giving away copies today. Go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Dr. Mao, over the course of now four decades, you've been uh, not just reflecting on this, but writing on this topic. Talk with me about sort of how the conversation has changed. It was very civil at one point, and we were talking really about some internecine you know, fights that we were having among Christians or between Christian sects or expressions of Christianity. Now we're talking about something very different. And so talk with us about the development or or the way the conversation has changed as you've been observing it and participating in it for the last four decades. It was in the late 1980s that I began writing my book on civility. And I was very concerned then about the ways in which religion led to incivility and I was focusing a lot on international affairs, you know, Protestants and Catholics killing each other in Northern Ireland, uh, Christians and Muslims at war in Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Muslims and Jews in the Middle East. And uh, I, I had that quite a bit in mind, you know, how religion becomes a part of the problem as opposed to being a part of the solution. And my book came out and uh, it was out for about two weeks, and suddenly within one week, I got phone calls from a reporter from the New York Times and another one from the Boston Globe. They were each without knowing about the other, writing about, uh, about civility, and they'd seen that I had this book. I don't think they'd read it. But they wanted to talk about road rage on California freeways, about people fighting in parking lots and the aisles of supermarkets <laughs> And the like. For them, it was a becoming woven into daily life. Yeah, so I began to think about that more. But I had a very good friend who's now retired from Congress, uh, Congressman Frank Wolf from Virginia, a really fine Republican and a very fine evangelical Christian. And I would often go to Washington and I'd spend time just talking in his office about a lot of things. We had a lot of common interests. And one day I walked in and he said, I've got to ask you a question right off. How do we look here in Congress from your perspective out there in California? And I said, well, Congressman, uh, you look pretty bad. I've got to be honest. And he said, you may think we look bad, but it's even worse than you think. And then he went back to the days when Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, an Irish Catholic Democrat from Boston, would disagree about things publicly and say, really, strong criticisms of each other. But then 
Reagan would call Tip O'Neill and say, let's have lunch. And they'd come up with a compromise. You know? And he said, we can't even talk to each other behind the scenes these days. You really need to rewrite that book. I did, you know, do a new edition of it. So I wrote a new edition of it right around the turn of the century. But I've got to say today, Carmen, it's even worse. I mean, they didn't just disagree in Congress as they did then. There's, there's a mean-spiritedness on both sides. I've got to say mm -hmm. a mean-spiritedness. But it's also in congregations, you know, school boards, congregations. It seems to permeate the collective life of our country. I know in congregations there are people who... Uh, just one reason why they don't want to have anything about politics in church is that they want to be in a place where they can at least be safe from, you know, shouting at each other as they do in, in other parts of life. And uh, like we are really in it. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I really like the way that the, the book opens with this image of wrestling and what we're doing when we're wrestling with ideas and when we're wrestling with the development of ideas over time. And I think that one of the images that you draw forth here is that I'm not wrestling for the point of wounding the other. Like I'm not trying to rest. I'm not trying to wound the other wrestler. Like wrestling is not about disabling someone else and hurting them. It, it is a, um, there's a, there is a struggle and it's a meaningful struggle and so talk about that. Talk about, about wrestling with ideas and wrestling with one another as we wrestle with ideas, but doing so in a way that that actually doesn't seek to hurt or wound the other person. Yeah. Well, that's so important. That's such an important question. You can find this on the, on the web. There are about 15 places where you can find it on the web. A group of people a number of years ago uh, wrote up something called the Dialogue Decalogue, you know, Ten Commandments. They meant it for interfaith dialogue, and some of the commandments aren't uh, ones that I'm particularly excited about. But there were two two things in that, those Ten Commandments for dialoguing with people with whom you disagree. And the one is that you need to enter into it with a, a spirit of wanting to learn, not to win arguments, but wanting to learn. And secondly, that you want to enter into it in such a way that when you when you, you're really struggling to find out what that person believes and, and that you say to them instead of saying, well, why do you believe that? You know, that puts a person right on the defensive. But to say, hey, help me to understand better. Is this the way you would put it? Uh, is this how, how you see things? And you're inviting them to be clear about uh, their, their, their perspective in a way that you understand it as, as they understand it. And I think that learning experience is so important that uh, we often engage in these discussions to win arguments. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who have voted very different than me. I have very close friends who voted in the presidential election very different than, than I did. But when we talk about that, it's important for me to not to see them as a Trump voter or a Biden voter, but rather uh, to get beyond the, that, that. They're not just that. You know, Carmen, one, one of my, I, I get real good theology sometimes from lines and hymns. 
And there's mm -hmm. one in a Christmas carol, wonderful Christmas carol. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And our political life is full of hopes and fears. I mean, there are people, and I'm not, I'm not arguing one way or the other here, but there are people who vote, voted for Donald Trump, for example, because they're really fearful about the way, about the world in which their grandchildren or their children are being raised. They're fearful for their own future in certain ways. And we've, we've got to get beyond just who you vote for to mm -hmm. what are the hopes and fears that we bring to this very important part of our collective lives and to really try to understand each other. And that's not easy. No, uh, it's not easy. I, I do love in the book how you orient the entire conversation toward the highest throne. You orient the entire conversation um, toward the kingdom of heaven, um, toward the multitude, the great multitude that, you know, is going to be there from, from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before that throne, before the Lamb, um, you know, this vision in Revelation chapter 7. And so I, that is the, um, I think that puts the whole conversation in the right context. Now, that's right, because, Carmen, that's, that's who we are. That's our primary citizenship. You know, Revelation 5 uh, has the same thing. Wonderful hymn to the Lamb. We're slain by your blood. You ransom men and women for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us a kingdom unto our God mm. on our own. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been incorporated into a, a new kind of community. And, and that's our primary identity. You know, I, I, I tell this story in, in the book, and I won't get into the, how this all this happened. But I did go to North Korea, and we uh, brought some much-needed food to some people in some little villages and the like. But uh, on a weekend, we were still there, and, they, and the government minders and we were watched all the time by government. And they took us to one of four legal churches in North Korea. And as we walked into this church, and the choir, the robed choir, in an old Presbyterian church building, was singing in Seoul, was singing, I mean in Pyongyang. Jesus paid it all. Hmm. About halfway through the service, the choir sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. And, you know, in Korean, but we had uh, bilingual uh, hymn books uh, there so we could follow the words, which were very familiar. And, when, and I noticed that when they sang this verse, are we weak and heavy laden, burdened with a load of care, Jesus knows our every. I, a young woman in the front row of the choir, tears were streaming down her face. Mm. And all of a sudden it hit me, I'm not here as a tourist this is a family gathering. Amen. <laughs> That's my sister in Jesus Christ. And saying that doesn't mean that that gives me a foreign policy or views about nuclear disarmament or like, but I know this, that whenever I hear people talking about North Korea, I've got to say, I got family there. Amen. And I care Amen. about them. And, and that is so important because in this, and, and this means that as an American, I love America. The reason why uh, I love America is because it's the country that has nurtured me and has provided me with freedoms. Uh, 
I've also disagreed with things, but that's okay. It's a family argument. But my citizenship as an American isn't right where I am, where I is a member of a community from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And I need to care about people in other nations, certainly because there are people who are my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Amen. Dr. Richard Mao, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the book. The book is How to Be a Patriotic Christian, Love of Country as Love of Neighbor. We do have some copies to give away today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Dr. Mao, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. One of the um, encouraging emails that I read every morning is from Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum. And I want to share a couple of paragraphs from um, his daily article today. Um, It's a section called My Claim to My Right to Myself. And for those of you who are fans of Oswald Chambers, you're going to recognize that as um, as. Oswald Chambers' definition of sin in My Utmost for His Highest. Um, Oswald Chambers says that the definition of sin is my claim to my right to myself. Um, And this is what Jim Dennison says today. Chambers observed the disposition of sin is not immorality or wrongdoing, but the disposition of self-realization. I am my own God. This disposition may work out in decorous morality or indecorous immorality, but it has one basis, my claim to my right to myself. Jim Dennison says this claim is at the foundation of everything that's wrong with our culture. It is prevalent in quote unquote moral people as well. Again, Oswald Chambers. When our Lord faced men with all the forces of evil in them, and men who were clean living and moral and upright. He did not pay any attention to the moral degradation of the one or the moral attainment of the other. He looked at something we do not see, the disposition. You and I might say he looked at the heart. Jim Dennison says, in other words, those of us who uphold biblical morality and religious freedom, we can be as sinful as those who reject it if our motives are my claim to my right to myself. He said, it's a binary choice. I can love and serve my Lord and my neighbor, or I can love and serve myself. I can make God my God, or I can make myself my God. But I cannot do both, and neither can you. And then Jim Dennison adds this. He says, inside the Bible that I used as a pastor, I taped a paragraph that I could see each Sunday before I preached. It's words from Watchman Nee's The Normal Christian Life. And he says, it stirred my soul again today when I read it. Quote, a day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion when we give up all right to ourselves and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. There must be a day when without reservation, we surrender everything to him, ourselves, our families, our possessions, our businesses, our time. We are all and have become his. 
to be held henceforth entirely at his disposal. From that day, we are no longer our own masters, but only stewards. And then the question, the provocative question, are you going to let the Holy Spirit be powerful within you today? Or are you going to seek to be the Lord of yourself? Yeah. I'm going to encourage you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit today, moment by moment. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.